So thumbtacks. Mmm. Yeah. They're sharp. They're quite sharp. I've heard that, like, you know, you should you should really avoid them making, you know, fast contact with skin. It's not good for it. Not to put too fine a point on it. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. I, I put a very fine myself on the point. And let me tell you. It's a refreshing experience. Oh, I bet it. Wait, I bet it's bracing. It, oh God, yeah. It's like uh, oh, I tell you what. If you if you're half asleep <laughs> on a winter's morning, you open the window and just get that 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 bracing uh, that gust of wind, blast yeah. of cold air. Yes, I mean it really wakes you up. It's like a cold shower, but made of pain. Yes, indeed, indeed. This past weekend, I had a cold shower made of pain. Which actually might be a metaphor for the whole experience of trying to take control of Rise, when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming from the lack of uh, Grand Champion of Rise as your new like social media handle, guessing might not have gone so well. I mean, I know how it went. I talked to you outside of this podcast, but for the purposes of the fiction here, I, w- I wonder how it went. Yeah. Yes, I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> I, to my credit, put up a hell of a fight. As Brandon noted on Twitter. Indeed. Yeah. I, I, as noted in the match, I actually, um, Brandon, got the mic at the end of the match. Uh, for those who aren't aware, I had a, an I Quit match for uh, f- like a full operative control of Rise Wrestling. And I've been talking about it for several weeks, been very excited about owning my own Pittsburgh promotion. I didn't win. Not this time. No. But I, I delivered on my other promise of it being the most violent thing I've ever fucking done. I'm very proud of you. I have seen little bits of you. Uh... Yeah. Doing a real impressive, doing a wrestling. No one can say you don't do wrestling. At the time of talking, the the show isn't public yet. I'm actually not happy about that. But um, yeah, I, at the end of the match, Brandon actually got the mic and um, said, "Let's drop the whole evil commander thing for a moment." Uh, you put up a hell of a fight. You that took guts, and then actually, I I got a, a a round of respectful applause from the audience. And then what happened? Then he said, moments over, you're fired. Oh. Yeah. That's not going to be good for your career at Rise? Yeah. Getting fired is typically not good for career progression. Not having one is pretty bad for the career. Yeah. It's pretty hard to advance a career you don't have. Yeah, I fired me. Well, that just means you're going to have to, you're going to have to find a new take over to stage the commander's not done oh of course not the commander is not done this is a setback yeah yes i was i was forced to say the words i quit into a microphone um which i you know said with with elegance dignity and a a quiet understatement uh after being thrown into a pile of thumbtacks and then battered multiple times with a steel chair it seemed almost like you weren't going to, and then you got hit one more time with the chair, and then out it came. Yeah, it was just a little... Needed a little extra squeeze to push the poo out. I don't feel well. Well, it's a good thing you're here on Podquisition. It's a good thing I'm here. It's a good thing... I've still got this job. I've still got this job. Yeah, we, we've yet to do a Podquisition I Quit episode. 
yet. We've we've yet to have one of those yet. Yet. But you know what we do have here? We got video games. No, we don't. Um, yeah, we do. No, we don't. don't. No lies. We got video games. Don't make me get the chairs. Look, from 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 all accounts, I'll just get you to say I quit, and then we'll get onto the video games. Before we, oh, oh, too soon, Laura. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Uh, but before we move on, I just want to wish your people I'm all right. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Nothing happened that I wasn't prepared to happen. Like some, especially people that aren't versed in wrestling think maybe some sort of terrible accident happened to me this weekend. Nothing. I mean, the you know, it wasn't the plan to lose, but I am trained for everything that happened and am alive and very bruised, a little bit perforated, but, you know, I had my shots. The attacks were disinfected. I had intended them for Brandon. They went in me. It's fine. Um, but yes, yes. Um, thank you to everyone who came out to see the show and everything. And I'm I'm not done in the area. I've got a, a wrestler's lab January 15th in New Jersey and back in Pittsburgh again for Enjoy Wrestling on January 22nd. Um, so yeah, that, that was my weekend. It was, I'm proud of it. I'm I I it was a loss but I went down f- I mean I went to fucking war and I'm I'm proud of surviving. That you did and I'm I'm very proud of you. You very you did Thank very you. good. Thank you. Okay, so what tell me about these what is it the kids are calling them Laura videoed games? Yeah, it's huh. it's not it's not how it sounds. It's not like a cassette tape you put in your VCR and there's a game in there. It's a, not a VHS that like like cuz I have one of those in in my in my house with a VHS. Yeah, we used to what we used to do when I was a kid, we'd have like a stack of VHSs, right? Um, label side up. You'd have a, a VHS box and you'd throw it at the pile of VHSs and any that flipped over to the real side, you won. Well, see, these are kind of like that, except you've got a thing in your hands you can use to move the characters around. I'm going to tell you about one of them, probably. I mean, I've got a thing in my hand that moves characters around. Somehow that's a euphemism for wanking. Somehow, Laura. Somehow. I mean, there's where there's a will, there's a way. Exactly. I've been playing Solar Ash. Solar Ash. Yeah. This is the Hyperlight Drifter people. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I I don't know if this came out a while ago and I missed it or if it's new out, but I've only just gone. Oh wait, this is out and can be played. I think it's new-ish. Yeah. Um. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's made by the people that made Hyperlight Drifter, but this time it is a sort of three D quasi open world uh, action platformer. You've got your big. You've got some big environments you dropped into. the The narrative conceit is. There's a black hole that's going to consume, you know, all the all the planets people are living on. And you play as something called a Void Runner, which is someone who's gone into the heart of the black hole to try and find a thing to that is rumoured to destroy black holes. So the way it plays is that you've got basic controls, um, run around with the left stick. Left trigger allows you to sort of skate across the, the surface of various materials. The movement is wonderful it feels really nice to skate around in this game it is one of those games where like you will find yourself just holding down the trigger button the entire time you're playing because 
other than a few very like, okay, I want to move a little bit on a small platform, 99% of that game I want to be ice skating around because it feels really cool to do. Controls are pretty simple beyond that. You've got melee attack that you do with your, your square button. You just mash it, you do a nice satisfying melee attack. You've got a jump and you've got the ability to slow down time, which they do some interesting stuff with. In combat, if you're in midair, you can slow down time for a few seconds to look at an enemy, lock onto them and dash in to do to sort of close your distance. The combination of like you're skating around the world, your nice big double jump and your okay, slow down time, look at a thing, zip to that means that when this game is at its best, it feels wonderful to play. At times where like I get into a good flow with it, it feels really seamless and I barely have to think about moving around and it feels really cool to traverse this world. The problem is this game has some design decisions that they hinder getting into that flow state and cause breaks in that that momentum. Oh no. That I think are to the game's detriment. I think the clearest example of that is you know, there's combat in this game, there's, you know, do do your little fights and those are all very cool. But there's also a lot of platforming. And while the platforming mechanics feel good to use, the game is a little unforgiving and a little overly precise. You will have things like grind rails you need to land on that don't have much in the way of, like, magnetising you. If you don't get it perfect, you miss. There's some grapples you might have to do in midair that have a very small unforgiving timing window and if you miss you've not got much ability to adjust for that and those wouldn't necessarily be such problems if not for the fact that this game loves to build its platforming uh vertically it loves having you sort of climb higher and higher and higher up these big environments and oops i missed a jump or i pressed the grapple button slightly too early and it failed I'm going to fall all the way back down to the start and have to climb all the way back up to where I got to. My problem with this game is kind of the same problem I have with 3D Sonic games. It feels great when like, I'm zipping around doing all the cool shit and the second that something goes wrong and everything slows down and I'm like, oh, I just got to get, I got to trundle my way back to the thing I was trying to do. My, my excitement kind of, kind of, grinds to a halt with it which is a real shame yeah like i think there are simple changes that could have really helped this game in that regard there are difficulty options if you find the combat a bit unforgiving but there's nothing to be more forgiving with the platforming which is a shame there are checkpoints but the checkpoints will only reload you if you die not if you fall a long way away from the checkpoint so that that's unhelpful the game opens up like backtracking routes to sort of skip you past some of those and get you back up to the top but they're far enough up a climb that it it can be a frustrating road to get there, and it's not signposted like, okay, I am that close to opening something up. You just sometimes just feel like you're exploring and going, oh god, I don't want to miss this jump. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Like, yeah. And I know I sound like I'm I'm harping on this. I'm having a good time, and I want to keep playing. But it's in spite of this game rather than it because of it. Because mm-hmm. like, if you could give me these mechanics that feel this nice to control in a game that was a bit more simple on the platforming front, a bit more forgiving, I'd be raving about this. Because when it's going well, it controls beautifully, it looks gorgeous, it's 
narrative is really, really nice. I am having a good time with it. It's just a good time that keeps being punctuated with, oh no, I missed a jump. This is going to be my next two minutes, huh? Hmm. Yeah, that's took me out of interest for it personally. Because yeah. I was interested, but Hyperlight Drifter kind of annoyed me. I, I, it's not a bad game, it's just I, I couldn't get on with it. So I was on the fence about this. I couldn't get on with the combat timing and, and the way that worked. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Combat timing here, much better. I agree with you on Hyperlight Drifter. But this, an- it's annoying me for different things, but the annoyance feels the same. Right, yeah. I'm less annoyed with this than I am with Hyperlight Drifter, but it, it is a game that, like, if I were more competent at playing video games and like the kind of person who could be frame perfect on stuff cool yeah i i probably think this was an amazing game i'm not good enough to have a good time with this yeah and it doesn't provide me the tools i would need to overcome that and i think that i'm going to hit a barrier at which i stop enjoying this probably fairly soon but Currently having having fun with like major caveats, and I wouldn't recommend you pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I'm having a good time with it. You know those kind of games. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well. What about you both? Uh, I've been playing uh, Fire Girl Hack and Splash Rescue because, as as I, I have made a point to mention on the show many times, I love a firefighting premised video game. Yeah. And this one has people have been showing this to me for couple months now i guess they'd had a uh, a demo on steam during like a demo event and i missed it and it wasn't there and so i've kind of been aching to play it and now i have and yeah it's pretty good uh you are a firefighter operating on a 2d plane for the most part moving through a number of different environments it's not merely buildings although that would be the first thing you do there's some train stuff that's wild and I can't finish because you have to move from train car to train car and falling off is instant death and it's it's a lot Um, the game in general is very very challenging it does not fuck around you have a pretty limited amount of water pressure to start with Uh, you have a pretty limited amount of water tank and so you have to buy upgrades to everything in between runs. Mm. And I think I have, I've probably done 12, 13 missions now, something like that. And in each mission, there is a casualty. There's some some victim who's still there that needs to be rescued. I've only yeah. rescued one. Like, actually mm. got the person and then got out successfully myself. It does not fuck around. The controls are pretty minimal. Uh, you have left and right movement you can jump you can hold trigger and that aims your hose or it readies your hose and then you can angle up and down or just jump to the other direction very instantly which i find fiddly to in control sometimes because they're separate commands i guess is the mm. way it, and so it's it's very easy to accidentally switch directions when you only intended to go up and down a little bit because your inclination is to press the direction to raise it anyway it that's a bit of a problem um you can also use the hose to propel yourself up in jumps which is fun now your your pressure comes in to become pretty limiting on this you could really only go up a certain height after a point because there's only 
so much water in your tank, not enough water refresh opportunities, and a lot of fire between you and anything in the game. The fire is interesting because it, it, it mostly... There's environmental fire like on the ground that you might have to jump over from time to time, but mostly takes the form of fire monsters, and there's a pretty interesting variety of those. There'll be little basic flames that just hang out on floors or ceilings or walls. They don't grow. They don't expand. They're just there. They're made as an, an obstruction, and that's the thing I'm figuring out about this game is that the enemies aren't – they're not meant to be fought by and large. If they're in your way – and you have to defeat them in order to clear the path, do that, sure. Uh, there's a few that will fire projectiles. There are bats that will just hone in on you. And yeah, you'll want to spray those quick and kill them. But on the whole, it takes so much time, and time is a constant pressure. You have a limited amount of time to make it through the level before the building collapses and you die. And you get a second added to the timer for every enemy that you kill. But every enemy that you kill is going to take two seconds. Minimum, it seems like. Um, maybe that decreases later on and, and it's more efficient to take out enemies. But it's a real problem. I'm running into running out of time before I can possibly find everyone. Uh, there isn't a lot of wayfinding to help you direct towards where survivors are there's a little tool tip that comes up hey you're close to one every now and then the levels seem pretty big it's demanding a lot of you right out of the gate and it can be very it feels very frustrating which now at the end of every run you do get a little bit of money from the city there are ways to increase the amount of money that you get. If you die on the run, you're going to lose some of that money. But very early on, you get the opportunity to rescue someone who then provides medical services and you can level that up and then it costs less every time you die. Uh, there are upgrades for your hose pressure, for your tank volume. There's one that lets you just absorb moisture from the air to refill automatically. It's very expensive and it's going to take me a long time to get it. And it shows it to you right away. That's incredibly frustrating too. <laughs> There's upgrades for basic health movement um, and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, the people that you rescue, some of them will appear at the firehouse as volunteers. That then expands the functions of the firehouse. Also gives you more things to spend. It's going to be a long long, long tie before I have unlocked all the shit and feel competent in this. And I'm hoping that the variety continues to progress with that in the way it has, because I've seen like basically three mission types. You have your inside building missions. There are missions that seem more predicated on being rooftop jumps. And then that train thing that I mentioned earlier. And I'm hoping that variety continues to expand because at that point, even still, as I'm thinking about how many attempts I'm going to have to make before I have collected all the things or am feeling successful, I'm going to run those three things a lot. A lot. Already, it's increased the number of survivors in my building missions to two. So I'm lucky if I find one. I had one run... A little bit ago where I found one and then I found an exit. And if you find an exit, you can just finish the run and call it there. Uh, and I was going to do that. But then, of course, I landed on a thing of fire directly in front of that door and died. 
it's a very frustrating game. Visually, it's pretty cool. The characters are all sprite-based, uh, whereas the environments are all like basic 3D render stuff. Uh, it's an interesting contrast. It, it's kind of unique. It feels good when you're in motion, and a lot of the motivation play that I'm I'm finding seems to be pushing you towards is just quickly moving through environment, which does feel satisfying when you're able to do it. It's a neat game that I think the more I play, the more I will enjoy it. But the barrier at start, if if you need that dopamine hit of success at any point along the way, you're not going to feel it here for a long time, I don't think. Oh. Yeah. It's cute, though. It's cute. It's got good music. You know, in terms of its input, feels pretty good. Uh, the jumping is a little, in terms of your horizontal movement, feels a little reined in, restrictive, even at times. Uh, it really just sort of takes getting used to and learning how to leverage the water spray as well to get yourself across. Uh, which can also be used to slow descent to a certain extent, but primarily is is used to give you a big boost to your jump to get to higher areas. It's neat. It's It feels complicated to navigate at first. It feels a bit overwhelming. The time pressure is real, but the visuals are good. The music's pretty solid. And it, it doesn't feel bad to play it. It just feels bad to lose over and over and over. But... I'm still going to push on with it because I've been looking forward to it. And and as it's opening up, I want to see more. There's a story being told. There's some uh, thing going on between your deceased father and the fire chief and the mayor who were all at this event 10 years ago. Where this supernatural fire force was embattling the city and and now it's back. And, you know, I'm, it's cute. It's charming. I, I hope I have the stamina to push through it because uh, it it's 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 frustrating. But yeah. Yeah. It's all right. It's a great name, though. Fire Girl Hack and Splash. It sounds like a playset. It sounds like like I could see that on like in the 90s, a like Saturday morning cartoon commercial for Fire Girl Splash Action playset, like, kind of thing. Yeah, it, it feels like you. It, it would have to tell you the firehouse was sold separately. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and visually, in the environments, and the backgrounds, it all feels like a playset too, actually, now that you say it. Like, I get, it does have that kind of charm. Um, and then it has these pretty cool animated sprite-based characters. All the flames are little animated sprites and they're neat. The characters have, have good design. There's a lot of charm here uh, that I hope will keep propelling me forward. Yeah. Yeah. That looks neat. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Steph? Me? Yeah, what have you been playing? Oh, I'll tell you what I've been playing games. Yeah? Yeah, I, I've been... Playing a game called Loop Hero. Oh, yes. Mm. Finally came to Switch. I played some of it when it first came out, and now it's on Switch. I'm actually back into it. <laughs> I also have played. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, right? It's really good. I said this when it wasn't on Switch, but also I get waiting for the Switch version. <laughs> yeah, so just a quick refresher for those who don't know. It's um basically sort of plays itself. 
there is a track, like a little looped track, and not a lot else. Little slimes spawn on it. And your little hero walks along this track, walks into enemies, and then auto-battles them with a little sort of automatically playing turn-based battle. As you defeat enemies, you get equipment that you can put on your hero or little cards that are basically tiles that you can then place down onto the world. And they will spawn different enemies or have different effects on the world. And that's it. That is really it. I mean, yeah. Yep. It's perfect in that simplicity. Mm -hmm. All you're really doing is picking your build and picking the level of challenge you think you can overcome to put in front of yourself. Yeah, you don't have to put anything down. But you think you're still going to survive. Yeah. You know, I play pretty much everything that happens. And, and so as as the... Like, there, there's a day-night... Well, just a day cycle. Like, um, yeah. Basically a timer that goes uh, during a loop. Like, several days will pass. And as days pass, different events will happen. Like, enemies will spawn or you'll heal, depending on how many um, little tiles you've put down that can heal you. Between adventures, you build up a little village. You, uh, like, the aim of, of going through these adventures these loops is to get resources to build stuff that will then give you more bonuses and more tiles that you can put down and then that's sort of its own little gameplay loop um yeah it's it's really good and i like the framing of it the narrative framing that it has that you are recovering the memories that you know sort of are this world yes yeah i like the little bits of uh the little philosophical musings that occur as that happens like when the bandits spawn and it's like, well, theft and murder is part of the world. Should I mm -hmm. be sorry for that? But then again, not liking that happening is part of the world. So I shouldn't be sorry. <laughs> like it's, I like the, 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 the navel gazing it does. Yeah. So to, to talk a bit about like why, like it sounds like such a simple game. And I think the thing that makes it mechanically interesting, the more time I've put with it is, um, First first of all, the more days pass, the more difficult the things you encounter are going to be, which is your sort of encouragement to go, hey, put challenges in front of yourself if you want to get the resources that come from clearing those challenges, because you can't just sit here forever doing it at, with very little challenge and be fine. You will eventually need to, you know, if you want to get resources, you're going to have to throw stuff in. Yeah, like the more monsters you're spawning, the obviously the harder it's going to be, but also the more stuff you will unlock when you kill them. But the thing that I, I think is in many ways more interesting is uh, how the game handles how many rewards you finish a run with. Because there are three different end states for any given run, which is uh, you got killed midway through the run, where I think you get to keep... 30% of your resources, I think it is. You can quit the run at any time, even halfway through a loop, and take maybe it's something like 60% of your resources back. It's 60, yeah. Yeah. Or you can quit at the end of a loop when you reach a fireplace and take all of your resources with you. And it creates this really nice back and forth of, I know that the next loop I do is going to have slightly higher damage numbers, do I think I can fudge the numbers and get once more around? Oh no, I've started a loop now and I've realised it's stronger than I thought. Yeah, that's the real sort of finicky challenge part for me is, can I do one more loop? Yeah, and you, you get to those points where you're like three quarters of the way around a, a loop and you're like, I'm real low on health. If I can make it just a few more fights, I take everything. But if I 
take it now, I'll get lots, and I'll get nothing if I fuck it up. Do I take that gamble? And like yeah. that's where the the good in it is, I think. Indeed. Um. So yeah, there's uh. There are boss fights as well after doing like several loops or or is it like placing down a certain amount of tiles? Um, but I, I'm at the first boss now. I actually just stopped to do this podcast, so I, I don't know what's going to happen after that. Yeah. But yeah, I've. It's one of those games that's really hard to stop playing once you pick it up. Yeah. Yep. It's a really nice game for having as a second experience while you're doing something else. Um, yes. In that it has lots of features like. Uh, you can fuck around with the speed the game runs, but you can also set it to do things like, hey, at the end of fights, just auto-pause so that I don't, like, miss anything and I can go, okay, yep, now I'll press uh, go again. Or you can set it to pause at the end of loops so you don't accidentally miss your opportunity to cash out with 100%. Like, there's lots of things that are like, hey, if you're not paying 100% attention to this, that's fine. When you're ready to pay attention to it, it's there again. Yeah. Great great for adhd stuff absolutely i mean the action's really passive as well it's like you've got to think and you've got to you know think about where you're placing tiles and stuff but you can do that on your own time the action itself because it's doing itself there is a a quasi hands-off feel to it that again makes it very good for background playing yeah it's a really good game the art is really nice as well the actual like in-game graphics is very uh sort of fucking spectrum looking really um but the character artwork for like dialogue and stuff is gorgeous i really like the character designs uh i like how all the monsters look i like how all the characters look uh it's yeah i i'm really digging it the other thing i really like about it is i like how it handles your uh inventory system for stuff you collect as you go so, like, when you defeat monsters, you get gear that you can choose to equip, and it, it won't always be obvious, like, which one's better or worse. It might be like, oh, this shield does less defense, but it's got vampirism, so you might get some health back when you kill stuff. Uh, but anything that you don't choose to equip sits in your inventory, and you've got, like, I think it's 12 slots. And as you get new things, the older things will get pushed sort of slightly down the list, and slightly down the list, and slightly down the list. And if you've got 12 things in your inventory and you pick up something new, the 12th thing gets scrapped into resources. Yeah. And I like that as a system because it gives you plenty of time to go, actually, you know what? I do want that thing I picked up a while ago. Yep. But it's it doesn't clutter you with it. It goes, okay, you've, you've picked up 12 bits of gear and haven't used that one yet. You probably don't want it. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll just automate keeping what you've got on hand yeah. small. And I think that really works. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to work out, like, how certain tiles might interact. Yeah. You know, like the first time I put down several mountain and rock tiles together and then it made a new thing. Um, that's cool. And the the whole the extra risk and reward factor of putting down a certain number of tiles might spawn something else. Uh, like if, if you unlock villages and you put enough villages down, then a bandit camp might spawn and then you've got a new enemy to deal with. But also that comes with its own you know potential rewards as well yeah and then there's a strategy around okay i want to make sure that i get these things to spawn on the map because they're going to produce this enemy type that's then going to give me this resource that i need yeah yeah it's really good Mm -hmm. so yeah i i need some more time with it but i am very impressed very impressed. I'm very happy it came to Switch. I'm glad I got it on the Switch because that's exactly the right place for a game like this for when it comes to the way I play games. Yeah. 
it's it's one of those things when it first came out, I was like, this is an amazing genius game that I don't want to have my PC entirely dedicated to. Because it's such a while you're doing something else kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And it's great for that. Uh, I pop the pop the switch on the on the desk in handheld mode. Cool, that is exactly where I want this. See, that's I, I agree entirely. I just did it with multiple displays and played it on PC. I mean, look, I I could do it on multiple displays, but also like you know, I want to like I feel like sat in front of the telly while I'm watching something else and like yeah, you know, mm-hmm. while I'm doing that, I'll I'll play a couple of rounds. Like I I don't like it being locked in. It, and that's probably just because my PC is in the office and I say, that's workplace. I don't go, that's work. Oh, see, I have no form of division between my life and my work. It's, it's all, I just live where the work is. I did that for a long time. I try not to now. <laughs> really? Do you think it's unhealthy? I mean, I've heard rumors. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything to them. I've heard, I've heard tell. Uh <laughs> Yeah, Loop Hero is real good. Go check out Loop Hero. It's, it's good. It is good. Yeah. 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 You know what? I'm going to talk about something that I played that Conrad, I believe you played as well. Mm, probably. I played some uh, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Yeah, I'm real bad at that. I'm real bad at it. I, I dig it a lot. I, I enjoy it a lot. Dig it? Ah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I was smart enough to come up with that. Yeah, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon is like a top-down puzzle combat game. Picture like a top-down grid where you've got enemies falling in like they're Tetris blocks. They're not Tetrominoes, they're just single pieces, but they, you know, slowly fall down over time and you can do things that'll make them fall down faster. If I may make a comparison that might cut the time for people, uh, Puyo Pop? Yeah! If you've played your Puyo Puyo and Necrodancer. It's Puyo Puyo Necrodancer if the Puyo Puyos could deal you damage back. Right. And they don't have to. And that's the thing. You, you're given an option at the start. Do you want to play this just like a puzzle game? Where you basically, you're, you're trying to make a chain as big as you can and pop that chain and all the things go away and not let the screen fill up? Or you play it in what seems to be the default, like, yeah, this is how you're expected to play it. When you attack enemies, they will deal you damage back. And the big incentive to do chains is not just for the resources you'll get for it, is because... If I attack and pop a whole chain at once, I only take damage for fighting that one enemy on the chain I was fighting. Right. I'm not having to do multiple fights to take that group of enemies out. Also, every time you do an attack, it basically moves everything uh, a further square down. So the fewer attacks I have to do, the fewer things will have come in to fill up the room. Yep. But yeah, it's it's combat Poyo Poyo kind of, yeah. But with roguelike elements of collect money, spend it in shops, get items that'll change your build. Unlock new items that will appear over the course of the run. Uh, Do boss fights every now and then. Unlock additional playable characters that have their own abilities. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very well made and I am very bad at it. I can tell you why I'm bad at it, which is that meter at the bottom that encourages you to... Oh, the gem meter? Yeah, the gem meter, where you get more financial rewards if you are basically going faster than the default speed that the enemies are falling at. Which also gives it a Mr. Driller element. Yeah, and I'm like, I know that I shouldn't make foolish mistakes because of it, but that makes me, that makes me rush. I actually don't see that bar. Like, I am conscious that it exists, 
but I only am aware of where it is on the basis of what I'm rewarded with when I destroy things. I never look at it. I never look at it, but I constantly know that it's there, and I'm constantly going, yeah, but if I went slightly faster, I'd get more rewards. And I I don't know how to get myself out of that mentality with this game. My going faster is more a matter of, ooh, shiny. Yes. Like, oh, I'm going to move quickly. Oh, I see this, and I'm not accounting for how much damage I'm taking in the process of doing some of these moves, and yeah. I will sometimes do the, like, oh, I'm so close. I'll ju- I- There's only one enemy in the way of me getting that key to open that chest. Right. I'll just quickly attack it a couple of times. Oh, God, I forgot it does twice as much damage as that one. I'm dead already. Yeah. And I will say, if you find that difficult, this game does have a lot of options for, like, slowing down the speed of the game or adding extra lives or turning on giving yourself extra health as a default for runs or increasing your damage it is very difficulty accessibility focused there is a yes. lot of settings related specifically to challenge level that you can adjust yes and i will say i i i picked this up at the start of a stream and i was like oh i'll play a few different indie games i just played this whole stream it was good. i was having a great time despite my failure yeah i've yet to go to those settings but i like the knowledge of like hey if i realize i am just hitting a wall and i'm not getting better i might turn a couple of those on because i like the mechanics yeah i i saw you play it i caught your last game of the stream that you were playing it yeah and said, okay, I think I need to get this. And so I got it and I played it on my stream yesterday on Tuesday. And, you know, I probably won't stream it again because I'm so bad at it that it's just, and it requires so much of my attention that I can't like enter, engage with people or, yeah. So 100% this as well. I had a much better time with it when I wasn't streaming and it. it's not because it wasn't fun to stream, but because as soon as I wasn't streaming, I felt a lot calmer about just getting in the zone and focusing on it. Yeah. And not rushing so much. Yeah, I have, n- I have not played it off stream yet. I probably will at some point. But yeah, it, 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 it requires too much focus, at least in its intended state of difficulty, for me to do both of those things. It- same. Yeah. It is a great game that I have no intentions to stream again. Yep. Yep. But I do think it is very, very good. And people should play it, especially if you like puzzle games, as I do. Yeah. Yeah. It balances the puzzle and the combat stuff pretty well. My biggest issue for me personally is uh, where the health bar is placed over to the middle left. My brain just doesn't keep an eye on it. I, I need that health in a much more prominent position. It'd be nice if... Well, I mean, you have it under your character. You do, but also, like, I don't I don't know what it is about the design of this game. I don't register the health yeah. bar. W- wherever they're putting it, it's not going in my brain. Hmm, interesting. I don't have a solid idea of what my health, health is most of the time. Like, I know exactly where... I mean, I don't either, but I, that's just me being, you know, just, like, forgetful and not paying attention. Because I know exactly where... I know it's right there. If I just paused for a second and looked, I would see it. But I won't. And I know that. Yeah. That's that's the thing, is there's something about it that makes me not think to in ways where, like, other games of this difficulty I do, and I don't know why this is different. It, it might be nice to have more visual indicator when you are on the verge of death. Yes. 
you know, a little bit of red bleed in from the corners or something to just let you know, hey, be careful. And maybe it's there even. I feel like it's there. So I believe that Shovel Knight gets sort of exhausted, yeah. has an exhausted animation when on one. Well, and I think the, the bar on the bottom flashes, yeah. Yeah, but the problem is you get that on one pip of health, but there are enemies that do more than one pip of damage. Oh, sure. And there's a lot of visual and, you know, just like visual activity in this game. It's very vibrant and and there's a lot to look at. And a lot happening. So, yeah, it's, it's easy to, to lose track. But it, it's fun. Yeah. I'm having a good time with it, but it's not it's not a stream game. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Uh, what about you both? Have either of you played anything else? Uh, yeah. Well, Laura and I have an announcement. Oh, oh, the, are, are you ready to share the good news with the with the with the public? Are they ready to know? We are mummies. We we are mummies. We 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 have a child together. We have it's a slime a big, child. Big announcement. We 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 have best friend the slime child. Yes, we do. Um, oh. I've been playing Monster Rancher DX. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> mm. I now had you had you played Monster Rancher before? I never have actually. No, this was oh. my first time. I loved those games. I played some of it back in the day, but had very little. I was like, I remember the vague gist of this, and I remember the the gimmick with the CDs. See, the game came. The games came out at exactly the right time for me. Uh, Monster Rancher Two dropped while I was in college, mm. with already my own, you know, extensive collection of CDs. But now, with access to an entire dormitory's worth of discs, that I could run through this, and because I wasn't actually attending the classes that I had paid for, all the time in the world. To do it. So I had a binder mm. filled with just this disc produces this. For anyone who doesn't know what this is, this is a uh, a remake of a, a pair of PlayStation 1 games. Uh, both Monster Rancher 1 and 2 were a double pack at the moment on, on Switch. Uh, the gimmick was you summon monsters by putting real world CDs in your PlayStation and each CD gave you a different monster. Yeah, the, the, and the way it worked had something to do with the number of tracks on the disc and, you know, the, or like the overall length of the disc and, you know, at what point a certain track started. Like, it was a very simple system. I think there were also um, some, it might have done a check for a identifying number of some kind or some bit of of uh reference yeah. because there would be specific there were uh, most discs just use these parameters and generated things and then some specific albums would produce specific monsters that related to them and that was a bit of the the hook too was figuring out which CDs you owned produced things that were unique yeah so Steph, do you want to talk about how this does the CD thing cuz i was kind of impressed by it yeah yeah so um Instead of scanning the, a physical CD into a machine that obviously doesn't have one, what this does is it has an inbuilt database of artists and albums. And you basically use it like a search. You, you get a search bar. Uh, you put in the name of an artist. You put in the name of an album. It gives you results. You load up the results. And then you get a monster out of it. Yeah. And that goes up to, I, th I think uh, someone on stream said it was 2018. Yeah. Uh, which is when the DX releases came out in Japan. So, yeah. If you want Taylor Swift to generate a monster from the 90s, then you can do that. I was kind of impressed both at, like, how much modern stuff there was, but, like, good things to know. 
if you had a CD back in the day and you remember what monster it made, it still makes that monster. And it's not just like the stuff you would expect. Like I I searched for like a My Chemical Romance live like live side album. Yeah, they had that on there, no problem. Had a monster in it so strong I needed the approval of the council. Ooh. But like, yeah, there's it's not just like, oh yeah, here is the the one album people will know from such and such a band. It's like, no, no, there's that discography ready to generate stuff for you. Oh, and there's some weird shit too. Like, um, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, the um the score for the Godfather produces a unique monster in one of the two games. Wouldn't surprise me if it did. No, I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. Actually, I think one of the Austin Powers Spy Who Shagged Me soundtrack releases produces a special monster. Or it might have been uh, International Man of Mystery, but I think one of the Austin Powers soundtracks does one. Let's see. Yeah, th- but there's I, – I, I'm sure I have a list somewhere, actually. <laughs> but yeah, th- it, it, there's all sorts of weird shit that, you know, I kind of – I thought was interesting – playing the game and seeing the ones that came up with the unique monsters the eclectic range of tastes that the developers of the game had that they would think to make these references or include these things i thought always thought that was fascinating yeah they surely don't fucking care about the music i fucking care about yeah elo is probably a tough sell (laughs) putting in all of the acts i like and managing to get like the same two monsters over and over again on stream. It was really heartbreaking. You don't want a thousand different versions of cape face. Yeah, just a fucking cape with a face, right? <laughs> and it's all I was getting. It was a cape with a face, and it was this shitty little fucking plant. And it was them over and over again, no matter what fucking album, no matter what fucking artist I was doing. So not happy about that. But it doesn't matter because we've got Best Friend. Yeah, which Phil Collins album was it that we got Best Friend from? I actually forget which album it was. It was a deluxe version of some Phil Collins album gave us Best Friend. Best Friend, a green slime monster that is clearly neurodivergent. Yeah, they're they're walking around sort of doing repetitive arm movements, like they're clearly stimming. Yeah, um, T-Rex arms. Yep, uh, non-verbal, they communicate by transforming into shapes like, oh, now I'm a question mark, now I'm a heart. And obviously trans as a result. Yeah. Incredibly fluid in that regard. We instantly fell in love with this slime child. Yep, we named it Best Friend, because Laura was on stream with me when I was playing this game for the first time, Um, and... (laughs) Yeah, we just fell in love with with best friend. This this little green slime. It's adorable. I, I, it's a really cute game. Like the, some of the monsters are just like they. A lot of them just look like like creepy little pervoids. Yeah, there's some. I, I was looking at, and I, I think I don't know how well some of these visually, you know, upscaled. Like because I remember, I, I I think I think the pre HD was very kind to these graphics. Mochi's looked more rounded. Uh, Suezo's looked more rounded <laughs> on PlayStation 1 on a CRT yeah. than what I was witnessing on your stream. It doesn't look right. The The pixel art that represent, like, the, like the, there are these little pixel animations that play when monsters do jobs and stuff. They're really cute, and I kind of wish the game looked like that. Mm. But, you know, the 3D models are fine. Uh, the monster designs are really interesting. Yes. It doesn't seem often like they were always concerned with trying to make something look cool or cute. Just unique. Yeah. Because uh, some of them are not cool and they're not cute, but they don't look like anything I've seen in another fucking video game. I'll tell you that much. So, yes, it's, it visually really stands out as a result. Um, I think, 
you know, with all of the monster games and and just all of the games that have happened in the, the decades since this was a thing, there isn't really anything that quite has the, the visual design of Monster Rancher, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's there's still not a game quite like it. Like, because people look at it and especially the time period it came out and what it does, you would look at it and think something like, you know, oh, is that another Pokemon knockoff? No. No. Like, people might liken it to a Tamagotchi, but even that's not quite right. Yeah, you're not going out and catching creatures, you're only getting them by putting your discs in. And the two phases are like, here is a farm, raise your one creature at a time, and then go do battles that are, like, largely about distancing and positioning? Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, which can be automatically performed if you don't want to mess around with it. But it's it's a weird battle system that I don't... I don't know if I like it, but it's unique and kind of nerve-wracking. Like when, when it's a monster you care about, because the monsters can get killed, the monsters can get injured. Mm-hmm. When Best Friend went to the hospital, I almost wept. I, I am so endeared to Best Friend that I am emotionally invested in this game. I am terrified when I send them out to battle. Terrified. Especially because of what happened to the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Now, I spawned a rabbit from a Wham album. It had... A, a Wham bit. A Wham bit. A Wham... Yeah, a Wham bit. It had no stats. Oh, no. I mean, no stats. I sent it to battle. It got punched once. It died. A man said, do you want to have a funeral for it? <gasps> Bear in oh. mind, it will cost money. <laughs> I said no. That was that. Oh. Spawned a rabbit, it died with one punch, and then I was too cheap to have a funeral for it. <laughs> brilliant. Fucking brilliant. It's a good video game, though. It is a very good game. Yep. It's so weird. It's a weird, janky kind of a mess that is instantly endearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's like there's no, really not much to it mechanically. There's not a lot to it. I mean, the breeding adds some complexity to it in the later stages of the game. But I mean, just in day to day mechanical input with the game, there's not much. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to stream. You just keep hitting options in a menu and hoping for the best. So yeah, yeah, I I I am enjoying streaming it. I'm not. I've. I found that I'm not playing it so much when I'm not streaming it. Yeah. But when I'm on stream, I'm all about Monster Rancher. It's a very good game for not too much brain and fun interactions with chat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, before I ended my stream yesterday, um, best friend celebrated their second birthday. Oh, I've I've been getting messages occasionally from Steph since that stream of like, "Here's how our child's doing. They want they won a new tournament. They Ooh. beat that golem that put it in the hospital. Oh yeah, the big gold. Oh, that big very golem that tried to them. fucking smush him. Yeah, I'm very proud of our child. Mm-hmm. I think I think we made pretty good parents. We did all right. We're looking after them the best we can, and I think we have done a ruddy bloody good job. Yeah. I've also got this sort of cat snake called Ploppy that I got. I bred David Bowie and Peter Gabriel to get it, uh, and I chose to say the sentence that way. Yeah. And it's a beast. Yeah. That sent it into battle. It is just smashing everything. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, that's just 
another thing that makes this game kind of really weirdly compelling is you can just get a monster where it's like this thing is just annihilating everything but then you might meet a monster that can deal like 50 hit points of damage in one go and then that can suddenly turn the tide of a battle and then you're on the edge of your seat again Mm -hmm. and it's and it's fleeting because now you you also know you're only going to have this monster for a limited time, for its lifespan. Yeah. Please stop reminding me that Best Friend is going to die. Sorry. Best Friend's going to live forever. I'm going to freeze it. Yeah, you can freeze it once it gets old and, and just that be that. I'm going to freeze them and keep them there forever, it, which is sort of better than dying. It's, it's cryogenics. Maybe exactly. in, in Monster Rancher 8, they'll work out how to, how to fountain of youth them and exactly. keep them around forever. Best Friend will live forever. Certainly in my heart. Best friend is transition goals. I want to be a little green slime monster. I mean, don't we all? Yeah, and then I want to punch a dinosaur made out of bubblegum. Yeah. Yeah. Comrade, you played anything else this week? Uh, I played that lawn mowing simulator. Yeah? I, uh, how you find it? Linda thinks I'm nuts. I keep saying, uh, I'm going to go mow a lawn. <laughs> <laughs> mow a lawn. I'm so happy you're enjoying it. I, I am. I am. I'm, I've... My career mode has taken me, I've bought the second facility. Yeah. And I'm in the process of upgrading that. And I have two employees. And, you know, I'm not getting great jobs now. Like, I tend to have one job that's pretty good, and the other two jobs will make enough money to pay for them and the repairs and a little bit of profit. So I've started advertising, hoping that increases, uh, you know, the value of some of my jobs by getting that reputation up. But I love me a mulcher. Love me a mulcher. Got the biggest mulcher you can get. I'm just tearing through. Uh, it's I'm finishing lawns that took me 90 minutes in like 40 now. It's great. It's great. Mowing lawns. It's very satisfying if you just want to do a good job well done calmly and quietly at your own pace. It's very good. Yes, but I also find some, there's something curious about it. The game is constantly reminding you. It's like, hey, you know, you could just not, you could just not do this. Yeah, I, I don't understand why this game is so insistent on you not playing the video game. Right? It's like you can stop now, and you'll get, and you'll still get money and reputation points for doing. In what fucking world? How is this an accurate simulation? That if I were to just like walk off the job, if I if I just get in my mower and I run a bunch of figure eights in the middle of someone's lawn and just make a total fucking mess of it, they're like, all right, I'm done. Pay me. Here's the thing. That's <laughs> not even what bothers me about it. Is I start asking myself the question. Who the fuck is that prompt for? <laughs> because if you pick up Lawn Mowing Simulator, there are one of two options. Either you want to perfectly mow a lawn in a video game, or you're going to go, eh, that's not for me. I don't want to finish this level and I don't want to come back to the game. Like, I don't see what world there is where someone's going to go, yeah, I don't want to finish this job. I want to, like, you know, bugger off now. But I do want to play another level afterwards. Like, who is that person? You'd think you'd just, you'd think they'd just quit, right? And that'd be the end of yeah. it. You don't even have to tell them. They'll just do it on their own if they don't want to play your fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's a fun game. Yeah. If you like mowing a lawn and you don't have a lawn, you can mow. 
because you don't own property, because you can't own property, because you can't afford to own property, because the wealthy are siphoning off all of our economic viability. Mow a virtual pretend lawn. There you go. I see. I now I get it. I get what Jaron Carmack was all about, and I'm I'm ready for the metaverse. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Give me a fake lawn. Uh, so I think that is all of the videoed games we've played this week. Should we talk about some newsy things? Yeah, let's do that. Why not? I mean, I feel like the the best place to start is some actual like bloody good news, and I'm very proud of everyone who's who's helped along with this. You know, a better ABK. We do. Yeah. We've been talking about them a bit. Group of people at Activision Blizzard King who have been trying to, you know, make things better at, at that company that have demands that have been trying to formalise action against the upper management. Well, uh, we, we talked about them a little bit because Raven Software had had a bunch of people in QA told to go and move across the country, promised raises, and then unceremoniously fired. And we talked about it last week as... Some people from various departments across Activision Blizzard King, some a better ABK staff, were starting to walk out. And the question was, like, how long that could last? Because by Wednesday, when we recorded last week, Activision Blizzard King was ceasing allowing paid time off, vacation time, holiday time, sick time, to be used for strike action. The day after we recorded, the ABK strike fund was set up. This fund was seeking to raise um, a million dollar total upper end goal. They have currently raised $323,000 at the time of recording to do two things. To financially support Activision Blizzard King workers who uh, wished to strike but could not afford to not get paid. And it also exists to help uh, relocate Raven Software staff who moved across the country for that job and then were let go with no notice and to help them move to somewhere else that has work. It is a wonderful thing that this fund exists, it's terrible that it has to exist, but fucking very, very big pride to the people who set it up, and I'm very glad that people have been financially supporting it, because if you want to see change happen, support striking workers financially so they can keep striking. Yeah. Yeah, this is just good. Goes into another bit of story, a better ABK... Uh, some representatives uh, ta started talking openly about the fact that, yeah, they're making active steps towards unionization. Like, they're at the point where they're handing out cards to basically assess whether they have enough people to, for to get the votes to form a union. They are real, real close to that being a reality. Mm-hmm. You can tell Activision isn't happy about it because they've been sending out... Really, honestly, disappointingly cookie-cutter union busty emails to people trying yeah. to warn them, saying, oh, I tell you what, if you get collective bargaining power, the risk is you might bargain collectively. Be warned. <laughs> the way they're trying to pitch it is like, well, if you have collective bargaining power as part of a union where you have the power of many people bargaining, you won't be able to as an individual bargain. And I'm like, in what world does any individual at Activision Blizzard King believe that... 
you know, fucking the, the higher ups are going to go, yeah, I, I will change things because you, the individual, bargained with me. No, they're fucking, they're doing this because they're terrified of unions, because unions have power. Mm-hmm. Uh. It's like, I know that we don't normally respond or, or improve or react to anything unless a huge groundswell of protest occurs. But if you were to send us an email on your own, oh, we'll listen to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting lots of the boilerplate stuff, you would imagine the um, the leadership of Activision Blizzard supports your right, under the National Labor Relations Act, to make your own decision about whether or not to join a union. Uh, as you make this decision for your future, we ask only that you take time to consider the consequences of your signature on the binding legal document presented to you. Once you sign that document, you will have signed over the exclusive right to represent you... That means your ability to negotiate all your own working conditions will be turned over, just as the document says. Achieving our workplace culture uh, aspirations will best occur through active, transparent dialogue uh, with employees that we can act upon quickly. This this is the better path than simply signing an electronic form offered to you, or awaiting the outcome of a legally mandated and regulated bargaining process someday in the future. It's like just the most... Um by the numbers initial scare tactics for like anti-union sentiment like it's there's not an original fucking thought in that email yeah and so much of it's just empty air just fucking empty promises of we're trying which what if we promise we're trying please don't enter our union you know we're still standing by a, a fucking abusive harassing monster of a ceo but we've we we're trying we might hire a couple more envies the reason why they're so terrified is because this is an attempt to form a union by a group that has managed to organise ongoing, with no planned end date, strike action, and the finances required to support it. They've managed that before they have a union put together. Mm -hmm. This is a workforce that Activision Blizzard is terrified of coming together and collectively bargaining. Because they can see that they know what they're doing. And, and I think I would also point out that, you know, just from the consumer perspective right yeah as employees of this company and i'm not saying this always happens or that this happens every time someone at the company opens their mouth about a product but i am sure that there are a lot of people who have worked at this company who have experienced a moment where they heard somebody say something about a product that they were working on that they knew not to be true Mm-hmm. what's to make you think if they can say that to us, that they won't say that to you if it's in their interest. Yep. This is a company that has been unafraid to lie and cover up and put self-interest ahead. Actually, we, we saw it with, with Raven Software. They're, they're not afraid to put their ability to make profit ahead of the well-being and the right choice for the people working on their software. At the very least, engage pattern recognition. Look at what they've said. Look at what they do. It's very self-explanatory. It is very self-explanatory. Yeah. Activision's wanton, blatant, shameless dishonesty. All I want to add is just, hey, if you uh, go check out, I want to find the link for the uh, the GoFundMe. Uh, it's GoFundMe.com forward slash F forward slash ABK strike fund with dashes between each of the words at, at the end there. Um, I'm sure we'll have a link to it somewhere. Go support it if you can. 
this is what this is the people at Activision Blizzard King coming together and trying to do something to change the working culture there and this is a fight like a tangible way you can help and support them it's the kind of they're striving for the kind of change that people who make the games you like like really need yeah do do you want to get to a point where you can you know play this company's video games again and be you know feel like their workers are not getting fucked over all the time and that you have to feel guilty about that this is a good step along that road this would be a bloody good step along that road. No, not even, not even as a as a guilt play. Just like if you if you've ever ever in your life used the line, "We should support developers," which hey, yes, I agree. I don't care what your position on any of this supports developers in a legitimate, functional way. Yeah, if if you're one of the people that parroted out the um, microtransactions are good because they support the people actually developing the game. That was a lie. This is how you can support the people making the games. Them going, hey, do this to help us, please. Now, you don't get a product if you do this, but you do support developers. On this note, this seems like as good a time as any to talk about Jeff Keighley being a fucking spineless coward at the Game Awards. Here is how I will summarise the Game Awards. Jeff Keighley comes on stage and goes, you know, it's important we start this show by, you know... Standing up for developers and the people that work on games and standing up against bad corporations that treat their workers badly. You know, tears in his eyes, he's really uh, swelling up. Anyway, here are some adverts for Riot Games, Ubisoft and Quantic Dream. (laughs) Just... Hmm. Here's the thing, and this this is what... The Game Awards evidenced. I'm not gonna waste too much of my time talking about the Game Awards because fuck it. But... What this evidenced is what is obvious. They don't take a stand. Very few in the media. I mean, I'm seeing people on Twitter, in-games media, right now creaming their fucking jeans because, oh, a new Spencer Cell's been teased. Um, again, all memory of what Ubisoft's done and does, continues to do, all out the window fucking now, right? Yeah. They take a stand against abuse. When it's an ongoing story that's too big to ignore. If it can be ignored, then the stand suddenly disappears. But even then, Keeley's stand was like... The thing is, even before I'd seen who was getting fucking advertised through the night, it was clear that his his fucking taking a stand meant nothing, because he refused to mention any of the companies involved by name or any of the allegations against them. It was a generic... We should stand for developers. It was weak. It was... It was nothing. It was what so many people in games media fucking want, which is, let's make a token gesture so we can quickly forget about it and then move on to indulging our need for hype for corporate fucking products. If I may, I would like to, at this moment, congratulate Jeff Keighley. (laughs) Because you have successfully made a fully functioning awards show. Yeah. This was the missing piece. Yeah. And like, I knew it was going to be bad. Still fucking, I, there was a, there was a split second where he started talking and I was like, 
Oh, are you actually gonna? No. I, I, because literally- I don't want to hold them to an expectation. No, here's what I'll say about holding Keeley to an expectation. He was perfectly happy to mention specifics of what had happened and companies involved when it was Konami not letting Kojima go to a fucking Christmas party. Oh, that's fair. At that point, he was more than happy to name and shame. Oh yeah, he st- stood up for his fucking buddy Kojima, yeah. He was happy to stand up for his bestest buddy Kojima. He is willing- to name and shame specific companies and burn those bridges going forward. Konami didn't have someone sitting on the board of his award show. <laughs> well, that's too, yeah. Plus, it's popular with the consumers yeah. more to, to bag on Konami. The consumers, the, self, the self-titled video game consumers still want to be hyped for Call of Duty. It doesn't pay to take any meaningful stand against Activision because, as I've learned, and as you both have learned these past couple years, there are plenty of so-called hardcore gamers out there oh, who gosh, will yeah. go after you for daring to remind them oh, gosh, yeah, that um, yeah. the companies making the products they want to be excited for are monsters. Yeah. So yeah, that evening was full of like repeated trailers for Riot Games doing some bullshit. It had adverts for Ubisoft. Had a big old huge amazing big reveal for fucking David Cage's new shit. David Cage, who by the way, doesn't make games for fa Yeah. Uh, I I streamed watching the Game Awards just so that every time a company came up that did something shit, I could stop and talk about, like, oh, hey, did you not hear about this one? Here's what they did that's shit. Anyway, here's the ABK Workers Fund again. I did literally anything different. I did literally anything other than, than partake in that slime. I partook in it... it mainly because, like, what, en- what, what, what we ended up doing is we had some people from the uh, A Better ABK in the chat and we 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 had conversations. We chatted through stuff. We made it an evening of like, look, if you if you if you're gonna go watch something and go see the things here, might as well do it here where we've got people who can tell you about the bad working conditions and you know who how to support them. But it was a oh, it was a fucking painful one. Um. So what else do we have on the news? Uh, you remember that that story we had a little while ago about Twitch introducing a uh, paid boost feature? I do recall. Yeah, viewers can spend money to, you know, get some some additional viewership for their favourite streamer and their streamer doesn't see any of that money. So, Twitch's uh, paid to bo- win boost feature apparently doesn't actually help anyone long term get any kind of viewership, surprisingly. No, these these things, whether it's boosts on Facebook or on Twitter, or it's always a scam. Yeah, so uh, Zach Busey, an independent data analyst, um, collected data from 125 streamers who took part in the uh, test for this paid boost, and the short version is that this feature didn't yield any significant growth for small uh, or large streamers. You would get a little flash of people join and about five minutes later leave is basically the the situation, Uh, reading the actual data. Uh, The overall change in concurrent viewerships uh, was mixed, with about a third of the streamers experiencing lower concurrent view counts, uh, gaining maybe 50 people joined for a little bit. About 20 of them experienced no change at all. The gains in views were small and temporary, regardless of the money people put in, Mm -hmm. because, yeah... Some, someone who's, who checks your thing out for a few seconds because it was promoted and pushed in their face apparently isn't specifically being tailored to people who will actually want 
your content. I block every promoted tweet I see. I'm not there for it. It seems like Twitch was just throwing you in front of eyeballs, regardless of whether or not they would be the kind of eyeballs interested in you. Well, yeah, but ultimately you're paying them to maintain temporary fleeting engagement that only benefits them. So essentially you're paying Twitch to benefit Twitch and not yourself. And that's the scam. Yeah. So do you both remember, gosh, I think like a year or so ago, we we talked about a Roblox uh, video documentary put together uh, by People Make Games. Mm -hmm. Roblox, game for children about children, supposedly child-friendly games made by kids, etc. At the time, the the a lot of the controversy around it was about how the financial ecosystem around that game was promising children financial profits that were unrealistic, placing ridiculous financial caps on you know how much money had to be earned before you could withdraw anything, and essentially treating the money you earned off of your games as company scrip. That if you wanted to withdraw to real money, you had to take a huge percentage cut on what you were being told it was worth if you kept it within the ecosystem. Basically, encouraging children to, for no money, make a bunch of uh, games that Roblox was profiting off. It gets worse. Oh, you mean the unpaid child labor force wasn't bad enough? Yeah, yeah. Um. So the new video by People Make Games is called Roblox Pressured Us to Delete Our Video, So We Dug Deeper. Content warning, it gets pretty... There is some pretty fucking terrible stuff involving children that is dug up in this investigation. We're not going to go into any unnecessary depth here. But yes, the short version is that in the last few years, Roblox has seen a real shift away from individuals making games to games being made by teams if they want to be successful. And there is no way to communicate with a team within Roblox, which is encouraging children to go off-platform to join teams to make games. The second you go off of Roblox's website, they do not consider anything to do with it in any way their responsibility. They are like, nope, you went off Roblox.com, it's not our problem. Which has led to children working for registered companies outside of Roblox. In some cases, without contracts in place. Sometimes companies run by children themselves. Uh, because of Roblox's structure, individual users can take unilateral control of a game's revenue, and there is no way for... Roblox will not get involved in splitting that if someone does say, no, I'm not paying you your share. You know what, though? I'd be very interested in how the companies run by literal children operate, because I'm almost willing to bet they're more ethically run than most of the ones run by adults. Yeah... I mean, this this fucking video doesn't suggest as much. So, yeah, so originally the reason why all of this stuff has gone off platform is that Roblox used to have an official Roblox forum, which was where a lot of these teams coming together to make games would do so, and that was technically on Roblox's website, where it was Roblox's responsibility to look after the kids there. They shut that down back in 2017, and the result is, oh no, now all the kids are doing their child labour in places we aren't responsible for it. Oh no. There's, an, uh, there's a bunch of additional stuff that goes into this. It's commonly believed that part of why the official Roblox forums were shut down was that um, it was being used to try and bring people into an illegal child sex abuse site. And rather than prevent that happening, 
They simply went, if you want to make games with other people, go do it in Discord servers, not on Roblox.com, is the commonly believed narrative about what went down. Also, did you know that game has a fucking real money auction house shit going on? Like, essentially gambling for real money. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmetics can be bought that initially can be purchased at small prices, but may only be produced in limited quantities despite being digital goods, which can lead to buying of a digital good in the expectation that it might become rare and its price might go up, and then you sell it for real money. That's that's gambling. That's a stock market. That's gambling that you have for children that Roblox takes 30% of all sales because it, you know, of course it's going to profit off of these children gambling. So yeah, fucking biggest video game in the world for children continues to be real, real, real bad. Yep, I mean, yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. It's a, it's, it's a, no. it's a horrifying story. I will say, I don't think people realize how huge uh, Ro- Ro- the Roblox Corporation is. It made more profit than Ubisoft last year. I think its its uh, valuation is greater than that of Nintendo now. Is something mentioned in the video? So yeah, and I don't know if that's Nintendo of America or you know or, or what that encompasses, but I mean. I don't think it I don't think it really matters. This is like it's it's up there with the big names and no one talks about it and yeah, this is not okay. And I don't know how to fix that, but hey, if your kid plays Roblox, maybe fucking keep an eye on what's going on and be aware of this cuz I know some parents that have kids that play Roblox that did not know a lot of this was a thing. I wouldn't let a kid fucking near Roblox. Are mommy bloggers still a thing? I feel like that's a thing. How do you get in touch with a mommy blogger? The problem is, a few years ago, the answer would have been go on Mumsnet, but that's not a place I'm going to go no. anymore. That used to be the fucking answer. Nothing's good. Except best friend the slime child. It's the only purity left. Best friend the slime child is our perfect baby who will live forever. Peter Molyneux's making blockchain games. <laughs> Everything's awful. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. He won't get it all in there. No, <laughs> no, he fine. won't. Like, look, <laughs> I, I want to show. I want to tell you this story the way that I first saw it presented. So there's a, there's a quote about Peter Molyneux's next game. Quote from Peter Molyneux. Uh, he's making an innovative new game that pushes the boundaries of blockchain gaming. Peter, there are no boundaries currently. People haven't worked out what the fuck they're doing. Everyone's scrambling to find the boundaries of blockchain. You can't push them yet. People are still working out how to make this bullshit non-thing a thing. Don't go, ah, I'm going to reinvent the wheel that we haven't invented yet. Like, fuck. He's a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. I mean, I'm upgrade. Like, like, you know, we've we've always been very firm on calling the man a liar here. Yeah. And and having some tact about it. He's a piece of shit. He's a grifter. He's a liar. Mm -hmm. He's a con merchant. He's a piece of shit. And, and, the NFT thing seals the deal, but I mean, he was before then, but you know, basically if you needed any more proof, NFTs prove that Peter Molyneux is a piece of shit and Peter Molyneux proves that NFTs are a piece of shit. Whichever side you need convincing of, the fact that they're in the same bed together proves the other one is a piece of shit. 
I'm not going to, like, get into promoting this piece of shit he's working on, but I'm going to give you enough of a summary to go, yeah, of course that's what this is. He's making a business management sim in which the businesses you make will become NFTs so that you can sell your business to another player, and also there's a cryptocurrency that is the currency in-game, but it's also a real cryptocurrency that you can earn by playing the game and use to buy people's businesses. Okay, now, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw attention to, from the article that you sent in here, there's a, a little bit of description uh, quoted directly, land NFT to start your own in-game blockchain business association. It says now that they also get access to legacy keys that can be lent to others, start an in-game business, and become partners. And this is... And then profits of legacy coin will then be shared. Now, this is interesting because it lines up perfectly. Uh, and I don't know if the, I haven't looked at the, the timing on when this news came out. Uh, yeah, I, I suspect Jason Schreier saw that and then tweeted uh, what I think is a perfect encapsulation. Like he's nailed it. Uh, his tweet reads, I've been wondering how the business model for play-to-earn games, raising billions of dollars and being adopted by industry titans from Ubisoft to Will Wright could possibly be sustainable. I think I figured it out. And he has a graphic here. And uh, I'm just going to – I'm going to show you the graphic uh, and, and you can tell me what you think this looks like. I'm just going to put this into our our little chat. I mean – if I were to describe that shape, it's a little it's a little angular in places, but I'd probably call it a pyramid. I would call it a pyramid as well. Yeah. I mean that's what this is. This this they described how without going into how much they're shaving off and how much profit is gonna be on the downline. Yeah, for for people who can't see this graphic, it's basically like, hey, the video game company makes a resource that costs them nothing to make. People buy those items. And then they they sell them to other players who sell them to other players and yeah yeah it's, and and there's been a lot of you know I've seen comments about how there's going to need to be constant growth for these things to be sustainable. Well, there's your problem because that's not possible. We know this. It's a scam. It's it's a well known scam. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like we can just say to you with words that it's a pyramid scheme. But I need you to not think that we're saying it's essentially a pyramid scheme. Yeah, no, scheme, we're not being... It's almost a pyramid yeah. scheme. It's the... If you lay out, like, who's buying from who and then who's selling on, it's a pyramid. It's actual... Even saying it's actually a pyramid scheme sounds too allegorical. Well, it does. It's literally a pyramid scam. It's what it is. They just turned Bob Ross into an NFT. Yeah. They've just turned him into an NFT. I just saw the news right now. I'm done. Uh, Bob Ross! I mean, the only thing I'll say about fucking NFTs, did you see Stan Lee's yes! estate trying to fucking hawk that NFT? Yes. And then Dictionary.com responding with, the definition of desecration is... Right? Oh. Uh, I'm so so done. We fuck. We are fucked. That's it. We're fucked. I mean, yes, but Luke Perro's all right to play. Yeah, Luke Perro's pretty good. Yeah. I think that's it for this week. <sighs> we are fucked. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. We got best friend. Best friend's gonna make it all okay. 
Best friend's gonna live forever and nothing will ever go wrong. No, best friend is gonna die. Best friend's gonna live forever, Steph! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Laura! Yeah? <laughs> books and podcasts and videos that you do. They fired me from Rise! I'm sorry! Well, if you're sad about being fired from Rise and need something to distract yes. you, you could come and support all of the things I do on the internet over at Laura K. Buzz on all of the places where stuff gets done. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Main thing at the moment, myself and my wife are writing a book, it's called Who Hunts the Whale. It is a novel set in a fictional, very fictional, definitely fictional video game, AAA video game publisher. Uh, go go check it out at unbound.com forward slash books forward slash whale. Uh, we're crowdfunding. We're like 70% of the way there. Go order a copy and get a signed one or get your name in the back of the book or whatever. Conrad, what are you doing to distract yourself from the terrors of Commander Sterling's defeat? Where, 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 where can people find you doing stuff? Uh, on Twitter, mostly. Uh, at Conrad Zimmerman, also on Instagram, but, I mean, let's be real. Uh, you can also hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. I stream three, four days a week, depending on the week and how it's going. And, uh, you can hear me on Let's Talk About Snacks, talking about snacks with Lauren Morgan and Lindy Camiolo. And you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> who? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, fuck. I, I, I'd, I'd almost forgotten for a second there, but fuck. yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, patreon.com uh, slash gymquisition. Uh, that pays for all of the content what i do uh, you can also see me doing live streams um as and when i do them usually about 3 p.m eastern on different days um almost always on a monday at the very least uh, that's at twitch tv slash jim sterling um and uh, again quickly just to remind you uh, new jersey january 15th wrestlers lab their next show chemical mv i will be there as commander sterling and on january 22nd at uh, mr small's theater in pittsburgh uh, that is enjoy wrestling and and I will also be there as Commander Sterling. And that's about that. Uh, thank you all very much. Uh, we will see you next week. Bye. 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 I mean, provided they don't take this podcast off the air for me saying cracker, you know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>